When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. She's a fashion blogger, model, and entrepreneur. She's amazing. The latest tips on fashion, beauty, wellness, travel, and her lifestyle. And now, here's the founder and creator of Not Basic Blonde, Olasha. Hello, loves. Welcome back to another episode of Not Basic Blonde podcast. With 2020 being a tough year and us staying at home more, indulging on great meal, a glass of wine, maybe a bottle, studies have shown that alcohol sales significantly went up in 2020. That's why I wanted to bring to your attention this episode today and I want to discuss it more. So where is the fine line between social drinking and having a drinking problem? Today's guest is Annie Grace, who revamped her own relationship with alcohol and changed her beliefs about booze being a reward. And today she helps others across the globe to do the same. And her approach helps people where rehab cannot. So it's a very interesting episode. So my guest and I will be discussing so many great things. So in this episode, Annie and I will be discussing how is her approach different from rehabs, how alcohol affects our brain, where is the fine line between social drinking and seeking help, when is the best time to change drinking habits for those who use alcohol as an outlet or escape from a tough job or business, how do you break that cycle, pandemic drinking, how to drink less during this time, what are the best tips for taking a break from the booze, the best ways to cope with drinking partner, how to have fun without alcohol, and do you lose weight when you stop drinking, how to moderate drinking, and so much more. Before we dive in, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Not Basic Blonde Podcast on Apple Podcasts. Hi, Annie. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. So glad to have you on my show. Oh, thanks for having me. I really am excited about it. Yeah, me too. And we would love to know more about yourself since you have such an amazing background. Would you please tell our listeners about yourself? Yeah, I would love to. So um, yeah, my name is Annie Grace. I've written two books, The Alcohol Experiment and The Snake in Mind. 
And they're really based on my own experience with over drinking. And it happened a bit slowly. Um, I didn't drink a lot in high school or even college, but once I got a career in New York City, I was really told by my boss that I need to show up at happy hour because that's where the deals were done. And so I kind of made it a point to learn how to drink and have a tolerance and keep up with all the men. And uh, fast forward 10 years, and I was drinking close to two bottles of wine a night and really unhappy about it. And so I set out to, to try and change that. And with changing my own behavior and my own approach to it, because other stuff wasn't working for me, I ended up sharing that with people and eventually self-publishing This Naked Mind. Wow, that's amazing. The book is, has like so many great reviews and has so many great takeaways. So we would love to know more about it. What was the concept of Naked Mind Alcohol Experiment? Yes. So it was really different. I mean, my journey was, I remember being in a train tunnel in London, coming back from a week-long, super boozy business trip. And by I had been trying to change my drinking for about a few years and not successfully. So I would make myself rules like no drinking until 5 p.m. or only one glass of wine or only two glasses of wine. And I just kept breaking these rules. And I could go at times without a drink, but I would always feel deprived, like I was missing out, upset. And so <laughs> it was, it, it didn't get me very far. I actually think I was drinking more trying to drink less than before I was trying to drink less. And so I was just in this cycle of both wanting to drink and not wanting to drink and all of this internal like dialogue in my head, thinking about drinking, fighting with myself about it. And I remember coming back from this work trip, having been up super late the night before drinking. And then I had kind of gone into the hotel restaurant first thing in the morning before getting to the airport and asking for a mimosa. And the waitress said, you know what, we're not, we're not serving mimosas right now. It's too early you know, the champagne's going to go flat, but I can give you a screwdriver, which is vodka and orange juice. And that was one of the little lines in my head that I said I wouldn't cross. So I was like, oh, but I'm so desperate. I just need a little bit of something to get me to the airplane, to get me home. And so I said, yes. And so I had a few vodka and orange juices at about six in the morning. And so I'm sitting there in this train tunnel and feeling like everything I had been trying wasn't working. And I'd been asking myself this question, like, what's wrong with me? Do I have a problem? Am I an alcoholic? And suddenly this other question came into my mind. And, and this question was, why is this different? Why was it that I used to be able to take it or leave it or just have a drink or go for days without drinking and not miss out? You know, why did I used to be able to have fun without drinking or relax without drinking all of this stuff and, and what's changed? And so I decided in that moment that I was going to do something um, different. And I said, you know what, I'm going to not try to stop anymore. I'm going to just let myself drink as much as I want, whenever I want. And I'm going to have one mission and that's going to be to find out why, what changed between then and now, why is it that, you know, every other part of my life feels together, but this one part of my life with alcohol feels totally out of control. And so that launched me on really a year long mission. I wrote a, a list of every single reason I drank and I just started to go through them and say, okay, is this true? And I looked up, you know, scientific studies, I did research and every single one it wasn't true. And so at the end of that year, I remember walking out of my office and telling my husband, you know what, if you're going to drink with me again, tonight's night, because after tonight, 
point, I'm no longer drinking. And he was like, what? He didn't really believe me. But sure enough, I just split a bottle of wine with him that night. And that was really it. And that was about six years ago. And so I knew I had something awesome. So I just got it together, all my journal entries into a PDF, and I put it out online for download um, and just for free. And about 20,000 people downloaded it in the first two weeks. And I started getting letters from all over the world. People are like, this helped me too. And so uh, someone actually suggested that I publish it into a book. And so that's what I did. I self-published This Naked Mind. And that was back in 2015. Wow, that's fascinating. But the funny thing is about drinking, I feel like Okay, I'm originally from Russia and everybody says in Russia, we drink a lot and all that. But not until I came to US, I noticed the difference. Here, people drink way more than there because there they can't afford to drink that much. Here, like happy hours every other day. I mean, people go out, drink brunches with mimosas and all that. I mean, people just casually drink so much. But there usually it's for holidays, mostly or kind of like weekends. and it just like surprised me how much people drink here. And in my 20s, I, I used to go out a lot and kind of drink with my friends, but I never could drink by myself. Like, I don't like to drink at home by myself. That's totally not, yeah. like, I cannot do it. But it was crazy that I noticed that difference. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's interesting to hear you say that. And I, I actually have a friend who she said, you know, I would drink more, but I just can't, I can't afford it. And alcohol is expensive, but it's so true. We don't even count it as a cost. We just, we just do it. Yeah, here we do. And going back to your book, Naked Mind and Alcohol Experiment, how is your approach different from rehabs? You know, rehabs are often either a 30-day program and a lot of them are 12-step based, so AA based. And my approach is really different because it's based on two core principles. One is self-compassion. So really letting yourself off the hook first. So instead of beating yourself up or being angry with yourself, all the science that I've I've read says that the best way to lasting change is to let yourself off the hook. And you can do that when you understand that, you know, the truth is that you're brain is doing exactly what it was designed to do. We don't consider this because we think somehow we're weak or flawed or we have personality defects in order to become addicted to alcohol, but that's just not true. Like really your brain, when it's exposed to something like alcohol, which over increases the chemical dopamine, it's going to say, Hey, do more of that thing you just did. And, and by the way, do it, you know, for our survival. And so it's a really powerful message to your brain. And of course that varies depending how much somebody's drinking or in what circumstances, but letting ourselves off the hook by understanding is number one. And then the second one is just science-based information. So every reason we think we drink from how it makes things more fun to it makes me loosen up in the bedroom to, you know, it helps me network to all of these things. When you actually look into the chemical processes in the body, it doesn't do those things. You know, it actually makes it much harder, you know, in the bedroom it makes it much harder to have an orgasm, you know, having fun, it actually dampens your brain's ability to experience pleasure. And so once once somebody can see that and I take them through some of this science, they are in a position where they're like, oh, I don't even think I want to do that anymore. And so the approach is, is very much based on what you want to do um, rather than what you have to do. So it, it brings in, you know, you, nobody, nobody wants to do something they don't think provides a benefit. 
And so when you can see that alcohol, the benefits you thought it was providing aren't really there, you just no longer want to do it. And when you don't want to do something, you don't do it. It's like pretty simple. Um, but that's not what rehab and AA it's in, in that approach. It's more like, okay, well, now you can't drink anymore because you have all these problems in your life. And so you're trying to not drink, even though you still want to. And so it's kind of like being on an alcohol diet. And as we know about stuff like that, it can just create a forbidden fruit syndrome and shame and blame and a, a big cycle. So this, this is a quite different approach. I also don't think it's black and white. That's another big difference is, you know, with AA, you have to get sober, you have to stop drinking altogether. And I think that's true for a lot of people, but I don't think it's true for everybody. I've, I've certainly had people who come and change their drinking radically. And, you know, depending how far along it was, they can go back to drinking at levels that they feel comfortable with and aren't affecting their life. And so I don't think we really look at other things as black and white. We usually look at it like it, are we reducing the overall harm? Is this making things better? Not are we eliminating the behavior altogether? And when we look at it as, as if it has to be a hundred percent or nothing, it really does increase the shame and the blame, which we're trying to get out of with the self-compassion approach. It does because, you know, socially we usually like, Oh, some people are like, let's get wasted. It's a weekend. Let's get part. I mean, let's get this party mm-hmm. started. Let's get <laughs> drunk. Yeah. I mean, like everyone, you know, saying that all the time. And especially Absolutely. now in pandemic, everyone is like, oh my God, I need more wine. I need another glass. But to me, I don't know why. Like it just happened so naturally past like three, four years. I don't even, I mean, I might have drinks when I go to dinner or something. But especially now when we're stuck at home, I don't even want it. <laughs> and so I thought true. before, like, I would never be able to do it. I mean, not that I used to have, I mean, not I, that I used to drink a lot, but I just thought that, like, how can you not drink at all? And mm-hmm. it's totally possible. <laughs> oh, yeah. So true. So true. Yeah. And where do you think this fine line between social drinking and seeking help? I think it really starts when you start to use alcohol to self-medicate. So I think social drinking interacts in your brain and body a little bit differently. I mean, it's not, you know, super healthy just because alcohol isn't healthy, but it doesn't do the same thing as when you start to use alcohol to numb out the pain in your life um, because alcohol is a numbing agent. I mean, they used to actually use it to conduct surgery. They'd give you a bunch of alcohol and then cut you open and have since realized that there's things that are much safer than alcohol to numb you or anesthetize you when you're having surgery. But because it does numb pain, even if it is temporarily, once you start to drink to self-medicate or to escape your life or to avoid pain, it becomes certainly much more addictive. And I think that's where the slippery slope begins. Yeah, that's true. And when do you think the best time to change drinking habits? I think so often we wait until there's a problem. We're like looking for this rock bottom or this big sign that's going to say, hey, hey, now you have to change. Um, But I think actually we need to be asking a totally different question, which is, you know, is it good enough? Are you happy enough? Life can be so much better with a bit less alcohol. And so if if we reframe that, then it becomes as soon as you realize that, you're not as happy as maybe you want to be, or maybe you have more anxiety and you don't know where it's coming from. Alcohol is just the king of anxiety. Like chemically, it it releases 
your body's response to a drink is to release cortisol, which is the stress hormone. And so when you start to say, is my, is everything good enough? Then I think you end up changing much sooner. And the sooner that you change, the least like less likely it is that you'll have to give it up forever. Yeah, I agree. And especially for those who use alcohol as an outlet or escape from tough job or business, how do you break this cycle? Because I had family, a member, I mean, like relative, the person could only, person was saying that he was able to quit on his own and it would only last a month or like a few days or so. And and the person would go back to normal and the person would work and just do normal things. But every night the person would just get wasted and get up and go back to work. And in this cycle, of course, feeling worse next day because all the thoughts plus alcohol hangover comes to your head and, you know, in this cycle. So how do you break this cycle? I think the the number one tool to break the cycle is curiosity without judgment. Because when we, when we get into a place of beating ourselves up for our behavior, no matter how bad it seems to us, we, uh, we create all of this stress and discontent inside ourselves. And if you think about it, like even if you were to witness somebody fighting from across the street, you would feel it. You would be like, oh, that's really bad. Or if you're arguing with somebody in your own household, you feel it. But what we don't realize we're doing by beating ourselves up for drinking and and both wanting to drink more and less at the same time is we're actually fighting with ourselves inside our own minds, inside our own bodies. And when we do that, um, it it just creates pain. And as drinkers, we know what to do for pain, which is to drink more. So you get on this very self-perpetrating cycle of pain and blame and guilt and shame and then more drinking and then more more guilt. And I think getting off that cycle and really looking to your behavior with curiosity, like, why am I doing this? Why do I want to do this? What do I think it does for me? What benefit is it providing? But then looking at all those answers without judging yourself, that is, in my opinion, the best place to start to break the cycle. But if a person knows and admits that that's what the person drinks for because such and such and so much stress and family members going through such and such, and they just want to kind of forget about it for a minute. What in this case, what should you do? I think the most important thing is is to really understand definitively that it is so temporary. I mean, it can take you out of your stress and pain for 20 minutes per drink. And then of course that can increase as you have more drinks. If you're unconscious, obviously you don't feel stress and pain. But the problem is that all of the things that you're drinking to numb are coming back and everything is solvable. Like you can fix the things that you're drinking to escape from, the things that are wrong in your life. They absolutely have answers. They have solutions, but you have to be willing to be present enough to figure out what those answers and solutions are. I love how you said it, present enough to realize all these things. It's so important because if you if you just keep running away from it, nothing will fix. You'll you'll just day after day. And at some point you just have to look in the mirror and say, when is enough enough? And unfortunately, as much as we want our loved ones to change, that only can come from within someone. Um, but I think approaching them like with kindness and compassion can help them to be curious about their own behavior and hopefully without judgment, because I do think that's the first step to change. With pandemic being right now, right in, I mean, like with us being right in the middle of pandemic, how do we decrease pandemic drinking and how do you drink less during this time? 
I think, again, it's, it's really about seeing that the things that we think it's doing for us, it's not. And I actually think there's a bit of a silver lining here is that usually with drinking, things have to get worse before they get better. Um, unless somebody comes along, you know, with a message like this saying, Hey, don't let things get worse. Start to ask yourself if life could be better right now, but usually our mindset and, you know, our society says, well, you drink until you have a problem with drinking. That's just what we do. And although that's not necessarily true, that is, that is our mindset. And so often drinking during the pandemic, what we've seen a lot of at this naked mind is people starting to question their behavior sooner than they might otherwise, because what starts to happen is you're like, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not going to the office. So I might as well, you know, have a beer at 4 PM as I finish up my work day. And then that turns into like 2 PM. And then you're kind of like, Hey, well, let's just have a glass of wine with lunch. The French do it. And you know, all of these little things. And pretty soon you're realizing, wow, I thought it was going to provide me all this relief, all of this enjoyment, all of the, make things better, make things easier. And you're starting to see that it, it doesn't, or even the moments that it does provide you numbing and, you know, escape, they're few and far between in there with a heavy cost of being exhausted and being more anxious overall. And so people are starting to see sooner um, that they want to change. And sometimes I do think it, it does need to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. It's like the worst thing when you break up with somebody. You get drunk and next day you wake up and the problem is worse. Yeah. Because you remember. Absolutely. So true. Yeah. What are the best tips for taking a break from booze? I think the best tips are to be really intentional about it, but not to beat yourself up. So set a set a little bit of a goal that you can win. So often people go into this and say, okay, well, I'm not going to drink for 30 days or I'm never going to drink again or and they set these really distant goals and I would say you know do something that you know you can win if it's a day like I'm not going to drink tomorrow you know do something you know you can win so so create a milestone that allows you to celebrate your success really quickly um, and I'd also say to show up for yourself um, in a way that invites like compassion. So no judgment. So if you do drink, even though you said you weren't going to just get really curious, like, why did I drink? What was it I intended not to? And I did anyway, what, what was I feeling? What benefit did I think it gave me? All of these things can be so powerful. I actually have a free online challenge. It's, it's 30 days and people are always welcome to go through that. It's at alcoholexperiment.com. But every day is just like mindset shift and, and different things to help you be curious and hold yourself with self-compassion, without judgment. And I think the other thing that's really important is to focus on how you want to feel rather than your behavior. Because so often we say, okay, well, I'm just not going to drink. But you know, maybe you're not drinking, but you're thinking about drinking all the time, or you feel more like you're missing out when you're not drinking than before when you were. I mean, there's so many things that can happen in that regard. And so actually being in a position where you're like, you know what, I'm not going to take a break from booze. I'm going to commit to feeling better and drinking less is one tool that I'm going to use to feeling better, or I'm going to commit to not, you know, being so obsessive about alcohol. And so only drinking on the weekends is one tool that I'm going to use. And when you look to make the goal about your feelings rather than your behavior, then how you accomplish that can change. It can go from, you know, only drinking on weekends to not drinking at all, to, you know, taking a few day break to taking a 30 day break because your end game is your, how you feel. And that just provides more flexibility in the journey. I love this concept. Yeah. 
it seems kind of easier than when you think, okay, I'm not going to drink at all. Then it's like you said, forbidden syndrome comes up, forbidden fruit syndrome. And it's just (laughs) impossible. What do you think is the best way to cope with drinking partner? I think if you're not drinking and your partner still is, um, one of the most important things you can do is to make sure that your partner still feels like, doesn't feel like you're going to judge them. Alcohol can actually be hugely divisive. And if you're demanding something of your partner, and if you think of it this way, like if you decided to start, you know, running marathons, you wouldn't go to your partner and be like, you have to run marathons with me. <laughs> but with alcohol, we do this. We, we go to our partner and kind of demand their behavior change. And then two things happen. One, they think you're judging them if they do decide to keep drinking. Two, they if they do make a change, they're doing it completely for you without their own discoveries or intentions. So it probably won't, won't stick. And, and then also they can become resentful. And so I actually think that any change in a relationship can be really difficult. Like it can be hard no matter how good the change is because the partner can think, well, I'm not going to be good enough for you anymore, or you're not going to want to be around me anymore, or you're going to judge me for my drinking. And so everything we can do to stay present and connected, but not demand them to change is really, really important. But equally, um, then be really honest about like, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't really like, you know, maybe having sex when you're really drunk. So let's do it in the morning or, you know, whatever, whatever works for you to kind of hold your integrity, but not demand them to change. I agree. Like you can only answer for yourself. You can make other person to do what you want them to do. It's just too much. Mm -hmm. So true. Yeah. And how do you have fun without alcohol? It's interesting for me, life has gotten a lot more fun without alcohol. There's one crazy thing that alcohol does. So we have, um, you know, our, our brain is always trying to maintain homeostasis, like keep itself in balance. And so when you add something like alcohol, which overstimulates your pleasure centers for a very short amount of time, about 20 minutes for one drink, your, your brain actually tries to turn that down. So it numbs the pleasure you're receiving. And we know this is tolerance. Like, oh, I don't feel one beer anymore. I have to drink two. Oh, I don't really feel two beers anymore. I have to drink three, whatever the case is. And so what happens that is really unfortunate that we don't realize or know about is that over time, especially if we're drinking on a regular basis, multiple times a week or every day, our brain is releasing that chemical that numbs the pleasure we're receiving all the time. And so alcohol, because it's a toxin in the body, will purge from the body much quicker than the chemical that the brain, it's um, dynorphin is one aspect of it. And it's what the brain is releasing to turn down the pleasure. So the dynorphin to turn down the pleasure is still present, even when the alcohol that is supposedly giving you more pleasure isn't present. And all that to say, that's the science behind the net result is that life becomes less fun. You think, oh, this isn't fun without a drink because it isn't fun anymore without a drink because of the alcohol you've been drinking, because you need that alcohol to bust through this ever-present level of dynorphin. Like alcohol literally robs your brain's ability to experience pleasure. So what's the answer? If you just take a break, your brain rebalances and then all of a sudden, all of these things that you used to think weren't that fun become really fun. Now, I'll caveat that to say that if you still have the mindset that, oh, it's going to be boring without a drink, it will be boring. What we tell ourselves becomes true 100% of the time. So if you're like, you know, still have that mindset that, no, this is going to suck without drinking, it, it will suck. But usually if you can overcome that mindset, 
and you realize, wow, like things are more fun. I laugh sometimes. Like I would laugh when I was eight, spit my, you know, water out of my nose, almost laughing because it's just can be so much more entertaining um, life in general. And so I think that we just have this very false notion that alcohol makes things more fun. And in a big part, because we've tied everything we do for fun to drinking and, and married them up. And so in our mind, they're sort of linked. Yeah, so true. When you think about it, actually, it totally makes sense. Do you lose weight when you stop drinking? Absolutely. I lost 13 pounds in 30 days. And, you know, of course, that's not always true for everybody because some people just completely replace those that those calories with food or, you know, sugar or things like that. And I did eat more sugar after I stopped drinking, but I still lost weight. Um, but yes, people, most people report losing weight almost effortlessly because alcohol... Um, it doesn't actually have fat or sugar in alcohol, but it is so calorie dense. Like it is very, very, uh, it's almost as, as dense as fat in terms of energy per, I think, gram. And so it just, it, it, without any nutrients. So at least with fat, you're getting nutrients at the same time. With alcohol, you're getting all of the calories, but none of the nutrients. So you're telling your your brain that you like, aren't full. So you can, as, and I'm sure you've noticed, you can eat a humongous meal and then drink equally as many calories. You know, there's almost a thousand calories in a bottle of wine, drink equally as many calories as the whole meal you've eaten and not feel like you're any more full because of the alcohol, but that alcohol actually is so, so dense in um, calories. Another thing that alcohol does from a weight loss perspective is when your body is trying to purge the alcohol from your system, it will tell like your body tells your brain tells your body to stop doing other things. So it will stop digesting food in your stomach, for instance, because it's like, no, we have to focus on purging alcohol from the system because alcohol is a toxin and it's like priority one to get it out. And, and so you will could have food in your stomach from an earlier meal, not digest it and then be starving because is your body isn't actually getting the nutrients because that food is sitting in your stomach. So like, I remember when I was drinking a lot, you know, after the bars would close down, everybody would go to like 3 a.m. Taco Bell runs or in London, it would be the kebabs. We'd always go for kebabs at, like really late at night because everybody was starving because the alcohol, um, the, the food that was actually in your body wasn't getting digested and wasn't signaling that you were full. And it also stops your body from regulating your blood sugar. So when all those things go away, yes, your, your body composition can change pretty drastically in a very short amount of time. Wow. I didn't know all of this. That's so interesting how it works. No wonder why so you're, you're always hungry at a club or bar. You want to go <laughs> Waffle House. <laughs> Yep, exactly. A 24-hour Denny's. Yeah, totally. And it's like, no wonder there's like such beer bellies and you look bloated. And I mean, all of those things really yeah, wow. happen. And how do you moderate drinking? So I think the best way to moderate drinking is to have just a very, very solid plan and to be open enough to yourself without judgment that if you break your plan, you're going to take a different approach because there are a lot of people who can't moderate drinking or at least need enough time away from moderating drinking. I actually wrote a free ebook um, and it's the six vital things you need to know about moderation according to science. I can give you the URL. It's canimoderate.com, but it is like so interesting how moderation 
it is possible, but you really need to be very well equipped because alcohol does certain things in your brain that makes moderation really hard, especially if you don't take a little break. Oh, I see. Hmm, that's interesting. What is the best advice you ever received? Oh, wow. That's a great question. I think the best advice I ever received specifically in, in regards to this is, you know, once you change your behavior, once you change your drinking, the number one goal becomes to build a life that you don't want to escape from, that you don't want to self-medicate from. And I think that doing that, it's a beautiful thing because when you're not self-medicating, you are in this position where you can't tolerate all those problems and all that stress you used to have. You really end up um, desiring change. And, and that's really amazing. I agree. That's a great advice. And where can our listeners find you? Your social handles, all your information? Um, so at This Naked Mind on the social handles. And then those two free resources, I'd say, are absolutely the best. Um, alcoholexperiment.com or canimoderate.com are just great resources. And then, of course, my website is thisnakedmind.com. Great. Thank you so much, Annie. It was my pleasure. Thank you for being my guest. That was my pleasure, too. Thank you. That was all for today, guys. I hope you really enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Not Basic Blonde podcast is available on all the major platforms with new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. To support the show, tag NBB Podcast on your Instagram stories and check out more behind the scenes on Instagram as well at notbasicblonde underscore or NBB Podcast. And if you haven't, subscribe, rate and review Not Basic Blonde podcast on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great day. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.